Welcome back to Pursuit of Justice. I am Harriet Hendel. On our last podcast, we spoke about causes of wrongful conviction and the issue of blind bias. Today, I'm going to change things up a little bit. I would like to include a segment every few programs where I recommend a movie or a book which ties into our theme of justice gone awry or justice denied. There are many movies which highlight stories of innocent, of real people who got caught in the web of injustice, people, of course, who are innocent. There are also memoirs written by those who want to share their own experiences with our justice system. In August of this year, a film called Trial by Fire was released starring Laura Dern. It is about the case of Cameron Todd Willingham, a man from Corsicana, Texas, who was accused of starting a fire which took the lives of his three small children. Back in 2010, PBS did a program devoted to this very case. It was on PBS's Frontline series, and it was titled Death by Fire. It might be interesting to see both and compare them. Willingham was executed for his crime. I will let you decide if he was innocent or guilty. The actual crime dates back to 1991. A documentary I saw recently on HBO is True Justice, featuring the life and work of Brian Stevenson. Stevenson founded Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, an organization dedicated to helping people who cannot afford good legal representation. Most often, these people have been denied fair and just treatment in the legal system. Stevenson created the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, a museum which tells the story of slavery and its impact today. Near the Legacy Museum is the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which is also Brian Stevenson's idea and creation. The nation's first memorial dedicated to our history of lynching. We know that 4,000 men, women, and children were lynched between 1877 and 1950. That number is far greater because thousands more were lynched, but not recorded. In December of this year, Brian Stevenson's best-selling book, Just Mercy, will be released as a movie starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. I have had the privilege and the great honor of meeting Mr. Stevenson three times when he was a keynote speaker at different events. He has a wonderful TED Talk that I recommend you look up, and the TED Talk is called We Need to Talk About an Injustice. I guess my listeners will conclude that Brian Stevenson is someone I deeply admire. You'd be right about that. A movie from 2010 that is one of my favorites is called Conviction. 
starring Hilary Swank and Minnie Driver. It is a true story about a sister and a brother, Betty Waters and her brother, Kenny. Kenny was arrested and charged with murder. Betty doesn't even have a high school diploma, but she promises her brother that she will get a law degree and become his lawyer. I don't want to reveal anything more about the story, but it is riveting. If you are a fan of Hilary Swank, you know she puts her heart and her soul into a role. Hurricane is also a true story of Reuben Carter, played by Denzel Washington. It's another saga of wrongful conviction portrayed by the incredible Denzel. And that's a, an older film also. A new film which just came out is called Brian Banks. Banks was in high school in Long Beach, California, when a classmate falsely accused him of rape destroying his dream of playing for the NFL. He went to prison, and 10 years later, the young woman revealed that she had fabricated the entire story. With help from the Innocence Project of California, Banks's case was overturned. I have not seen the film yet, but I did meet Brian Banks at a big fundraising event for the Innocence Project of Florida some years back. He was our keynote speaker for that event. On NBC during the first week of September, Lester Holt hosted two programs called Justice for All. He spent time at Angola Prison in Louisiana, occupying a cell for several days so he could experience prison firsthand. He did the second part of the program from Sing Sing Prison here in New York, inviting people like Brian Stevenson, Loretta Lynch, John Legend, and others to share their thoughts about our criminal justice system. The program was filmed inside the barbed wire of Sing Sing with many inmates in attendance. I hope Mr. Holt adds some additional programs to this first set. He does mention wrongful conviction, but just glosses over it. I'm sure he'll come back to it. The final recommendation is a book written by a man who spent 30 years on death row for a crime he did not commit. Thanks to Brian Stevenson, Anthony Ray Hinton was released in 2015. He is from Alabama, and not only did he not get one dime in compensation, but he never even got an apology. And from what I understand, Alabama does have a compensation law on the books, but no money to give out for that compensation. So what really, what good is the law? Um, Ray, as he is called, wrote a book recently called The Sun Does Shine about his experiences on death row for 30 years. I have not only listened to his book on CD, and the book is out in a hardcover and a paper as well, but I met him just two short weeks after his release from prison at an Innocence Network international conference 
in Orlando, Florida in 2015. The Innocence Network, as I had mentioned in an earlier podcast, is composed of every Innocence Project in the country and in the world. They hold a convention every year in a different state. My husband and I were heading down to the kickoff breakfast that morning in a beautiful hotel when we met two men heading to the elevator going in our direction. We stopped to talk to them and Ray explained that he had been free for only 14 days. I was speechless. All I could do was hug him and welcome him to the conference. I couldn't imagine how he must have felt among over 500 people attending the event, along with 125 exonerees. From what I could see, he had a great time. Ray is now doing a great deal of public speaking, and he is also featured in that HBO special I mentioned called True Justice about Brian Stevenson. I want to encourage those who are listening to find the movies and books I mentioned to add a dimension to the topics we will be discussing in the future. For our podcast in November, I hope to focus solely on one case, that of Nathan Myers and his uncle Clifford Williams, both from Florida. The two of them spent a total, each each of them spent 43 years in prison as innocent men. Our project, the Innocence Project of Florida, in collaboration with the new Conviction Integrity Review Unit, managed to get their case overturned in March of this year. I have invited the exonerees and the state attorney to come on the program along with the director of the Conviction Integrity Unit. And before we wrap up today, I'd like to read parts of a column uh, that I read and saved from the New York Times. It was written by Nicholas Kristof, and it was published June 16, 2019. Next to the column, it's a huge column, runs one and a half pages, um, a full page of the Times and then another, another part on a different page. Next to that column is a picture of Mr. Myers and Mr. Williams hugging each other shortly after their exoneration. The title of the column is When We Kill. At the time of their exoneration, Mr. Williams was 76 and his nephew was 56. Mr. Williams had been given the death penalty for the, his crime. But in the ensuing years, the Florida Supreme Court had overturned his death sentence by a single vote way back in 1980, effectively giving him life in prison instead. And of course, I'm sure you're thinking, what if they hadn't done that? I am sure he would have been um, executed. So I want to quote from Nicholas Kristof. The death penalty has been applied to at least 222 crimes in the Anglo-American legal system, including marrying a Jew and stealing a rabbit. 
For a time in America, stealing grapes was punishable by death. So was witchcraft, as we know from the Salem witch trials. For century, centuries, ex executions were public affairs. The last public execution in the United States was in August of 1936 in Owensburg, Kentucky. Perhaps 20,000 people gathered to see a black man, Rainy Bethia, age 22, hanged for the rape and murder of a white woman. The carnival atmosphere and hanging parties led Kentucky to ban public executions, although public lynching did continue. Christoph goes on to examine the arguments for the death penalty. He makes the case for bias in choosing the death penalty over life without parole. Bias, he writes, is not just found in judges and prosecutors. In Washington state, researchers found juries were four times as likely to recommend a death sentence for a black defendant as for a similar white defendant. Justice is supposed to be blind. It is not supposed to be random. Today, the Supreme Court is caught in a bitter feud over the death penalty with a conservative majority approving executions and fretting about unjustified delay in carrying them out, as Justice Neil Gorsuch put it in April. In her dissent in that case, Justice Sonia Sotomayor argued, quote, there are higher values than ensuring that executions run on time, end of quote. The result of this division is the court is unlikely to constrain executions significantly. Yet there is some recognition the system is faulty and capital punishment is becoming more rare. In 1998, there were 295 death sentences in this country. In 2018, just 42. In California, which has the largest death row in the nation, Governor Gavin Newsom has bravely declared a moratorium on executions. Christoph reached out to Henry Cox III, who four decades ago prosecuted the case against Clifford Williams and won the death sentence. I figured, said Christoph, that he would see the issue of the death penalty differently, but he did not. In fact, he was relieved that five of the death sentences he won as a prosecutor, that none were ever carried out. Christoph has some additional things to say about the death penalty in this column. Quote, my interest in the death penalty arises partly from a mistake of my own. At the beginning of 2000, I spoke to Barry Sheck of the Innocence Project, who told me about a white man on death row in Texas, Cameron Todd Willingham, whom he believed to be innocent. I discussed with the editors the possibility of doing a deep dive into the case, but I let myself be lured away by the sirens of that year's Iowa caucuses instead. I never wrote about Willingham, and he was executed in 2004. Subsequent evidence strongly suggests that not only was Willingham innocent, but that no crime was even committed. 
He had been convicted of splashing gasoline around his house and then setting it on fire to murder his three little children. But experts later showed there was no gasoline and the fire was simply an accident that probably started with faulty wiring. Imagine what it would be like to lose the people you love the most, then be convicted of murdering them, and finally be strapped to a gurney and executed by lethal injection. I hope the new movie, Trial by Fire, will prick the national conscience. In Jacksonville, Clifford Williams is now trying to get used to freedom after 42 years as a convicted murderer. Buddy Schultz, his lawyer, told me what happened when he visited Williams in prison and told him he would be released. He cried for the first 10 minutes, Schultz recalled. For the next 10 minutes, he laughed. Schultz added, I'm personally of the opinion the death penalty serves no purpose whatsoever, and I think it's immoral. The judge imposed it, and but for a close decision by the Supreme Court, here would have been an innocent man who would have lost his life. So that's the end of the Kristoff column that I, I read a great, great deal from. Thank you, Nicholas Kristoff from the New York Times. Um, I wanted to return to uh, some additional recommendations. This entire podcast, uh, I have picked out many films, books, um, articles, and people that I really would love for my audience to become familiar with. So a book I read 10 years ago is called Picking Cotton. It was written by Jennifer Thompson and Ronald Cotton in 2009 two very unlikely co-authors. I had the great pleasure of meeting Jennifer at an Innocence Network convention, that same one where I met Anthony Ray Hinton, the man who spent three decades on death row in Alabama. When Jennifer was in her early 20s, she was living off campus in North Carolina going to college. She was the victim of a rape by someone she identified soon after the assault. Her memory, she said, was clear. There was no doubt about the perpetrator. It was Ronald Cotton. You see where this is going, right? Cotton was convicted and sent to prison 11 years into his sentence, having maintained his innocence from the start. He met a man who looked a lot like him, so much so that people in the prison kept calling him by the other man's last name, which was Poole. Eventually, Cotton was able to request and get DNA testing on the rape kit, and he was exonerated. When he first got to prison, by the way, DNA was not in use. When police detective, detectives faced Jennifer with her mistake, she was adamant. No, she had not made a mistake. But indeed, she had. Ultimately, she and Ronald Cotton met, and she apologized to him profusely, and he forgave her. Not only did they write this book together, but they speak all over the United States about witness misidentification. 
Getting Life is Michael Morton's memoir of his 25 years behind bars for the murder of his young wife. Published in 2014, it is his agonizing story of wrongful conviction. In 2013, CNN showed a film highlighting his miscarriage of justice. That movie was called An Unreal Dream. It's really a documentary, as Morton is featured throughout the film. The Central Park Five are the subject of both a documentary of the same name, done in 2011 by Sarah Burns, daughter of the documentary filmmaker Ken Burns, and it's also uh, a book. In 2019, Ava DuVernay directed When They See Us, a docudrama about the Central Park Five. Netflix carried the four-part series. Rectify was a series on Netflix a couple of years back, well worth watching. Another excellent series on Netflix was The Staircase, about a man convicted of killing his wife. The viewer is part of the trial, a rare occurrence. The Staircase fe featured all the actual people involved in this case. Rectify is also the name of a book. The full title is The Power of Restorative Justice After Wrongful Conviction. Written by Lara Bazelon in 2018, the book delves into the aftermath of wrongful conviction in terms of its impact on the lives of everyone connected to a case. Even after a case is overturned, the obstacles exist and are difficult to overcome. A victim is often victimized twice by the perpetrator who wasn't caught and then by the justice system due to incompetence, racial bias, blind bias, and so many other factors. Injustice is a knife that cuts both ways. This book was a gift from my sister and well worth reading. Killing Time, an 18-year odyssey from death row to freedom, was published in 2010 by John Holloway as a memoir of his nightmare in prison. Another book is Actual Innocence, written in 2000 by Barry Sheck, Peter Neufeld, and Jim Dwyer, about the start of the Innocence Project, founded by Sheck and Neufeld. Exit to Freedom, authored by Calvin Johnson in 2003, is his memoir about the 16 years he spent in Georgia's prisons wrongly convicted. He was released in 1999 with help from the Innocence Project and DNA. I want to encourage those who are listening to find the movies and the books that I mentioned to add a dimension to the topics we will be discussing in the future. For our podcast in November, I hope to focus solely on one case. And I went into that case today uh, regarding the article that Nick Kristoff wrote in the Times. And that case is Nathan Myers and his uncle Clifford Williams, both from Florida. They spent 43 years in prison as innocent men. 
and our project, the Innocence Project of Florida, in collaboration with the brand new Conviction Integrity Review Unit, managed to get their case overturned in March of this year. I have invited the exonerees and the state attorney to come on the program, in addition to the director of the new Conviction Review Integrity Unit. Now, at this point in time, I'm not sure who will be able to give their time to us, but I'm hoping um, everyone will, but we'll have to wait and see. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing part of your day with me. I would really enjoy hearing your comments, your questions, even maybe your suggestions. I'm always open. Um, I'd like you to write to me at pursuitofjustice1 at gmail.com. Now, I, I had given another email earlier in an earlier podcast, and I've just uh, changed it to this one. It also may have to be changed again because we've changed our name of the program. Uh, our new name is Pursuing Justice because there already is a podcast with the name Pursuit of Justice. So I hope to hear uh, from my listeners. I would enjoy that very, very much. And um, we will see you next time on Pursuing Justice.